On today's episode of the Wanderings and Wool Gathering podcast, the boys each take in a show and talk about it at length. We discuss our artistic differences and the new Cypress Hill. Does it make the cut? Welcome to episode five of Wanderings and Wool Gathering, the concert episode. Tonight's episode is brought to you by Small Giant Designs, the good folks behind the album covers for country music superstars, Low Cash. I'm Falgi, and always I'm with T-Bags and JPP. Good evening, fellas. Hey. Good evening. Good evening. You guys ready for the show tonight? Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. Sorry. Go ahead, Tony. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm not so sure you guys are ready for the show. I am. Well, for the listeners out there, we're in three different areas with three different internet connections, so if it seems like we're not knowing when to speak, we're just waiting on dialogue to end. Yeah. And speaking of three, <laughs> I'm running on three hours of sleep in two days, so... Oh, Who knows? Man, isn't that great when you get older? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who knows how this will go on my end, so I'm apologizing in advance, but I'm ready for the show. Yes, me too. Fantastic. All right, so we're going to kick it off with the challenge because that's what we do every week. Last week, I issued the challenge, and basically it started as one thing and blossomed because we can do whatever we want. It's our show, but it was the best album cover art and we broke it uh, into three pieces of album cover art because we couldn't choose just one. So we're going to start with Paul, your top three album cover arts. Go. All right. So I took a couple of different angles. I'm torn when it comes to album cover art because it's either, A, it's beautiful art and it's awesome, or it's art that really blends well with the sonic package so it creates the whole story. Or uh, it's something that made an impression on me and made me want to listen to the album. Now, this conversation, let me just add, I could go forever on the the last piece, especially, because there were plenty of albums I gave a, a shot just because the album cover was awesome. And, of course, sometimes I was greatly disappointed, and sometimes I was blown away. But that's the beauty of it, because if you don't give something a shot, you don't know what it's going to sound like. The Internet has kind of taken that experience away, because you can just go stream it and give it a quick preview. I find myself at a store sometimes going, oh, is this band any good? And go listen to a preview on, on my phone. Meh, okay, moving on. <laughs> So on to the challenge. So here's here's how I broke it down. I'm going to cheat a little bit, and I apologize in advance, but I've got basically five all together, but they're kind of interconnected. Here's the first one. The album cover art for Megadeth, particularly Peace Sells But Who's Buying and Rust yes. in Peace. Those, those two are kind of one of my favorite sets because when I first saw Peace Sells, that and Injustice for All were the two heavy metal albums I first listened to. When I saw... Vic on the album cover and a buddy might let me borrow it on cassette. I was like, what on earth is this? This was terrifying. I can't wait to listen to it and popped it in and was completely floored, scared, needed more. Uh, you know, the heavy guitars were you know, kind of basically creating my attention and, and, uh, has driven my passion since, you know, and 
so that was kind of the first impression for me, and that will always be ingrained in my memory so long as I have it. Uh, Rust in Peace, I felt like that was a cool package because that tied very well with the music, um, especially you know given the the innovative thrash and just the tightness of that particular album. Plus, you have George H. W. Bush on there looking at you know Vic in front of an alien inside of a kind of a frozen capsule with other political leaders. So it had a lot of statements, and that album also had similar statements. So it was tying into that story so that's my first album cover package the second one is the artist himself dave mckean he did album art cover work for several artists two in particular were uh testament the album low um i've been a testament fan for years and so i knew that the band had a bit of a shake-up alex skolnick had left to pursue jazz and they brought james murphy on board who's a great guitar player um, they brought john tempesta in on drums who drummed for white zombie and i was like oh a new testament album i gotta check this out <clears throat> excuse me as soon as I heard it, it was dropped tuned, so it was lower. Chuck Billy went from kind of singing in key to be more guttural and, and kind of a brutal death metal style vocal. Man, that was awesome. And of another friend of mine, and I often joke that you can't listen to that album uh, while driving because it kind of pumps you up and makes you want to go too <laughs> fast. But Dave McKean did that album art, and he used mixed media a lot, a lot of photography mixed with illustration and, and various layers of elements to put together the image, blurred photography, and, and just mangled it. Funny thing is, I don't think he even listens to that style of music, but his art complements it well. He also did uh, Frontline Assemblies album art, too, and both of those uh, particular albums, I can't remember the Frontline Assembly album off the top of my head, but uh, if you do a Google search, you'll certainly find them, and I'll put it in the show notes later, but both of those really tied well with the album based off of his imagery, too. My last one, and then I'll quit talking, uh, is actually um, Moon Safari by Air. I was working at a record store at the time, and I saw this kind of a real white album cover with the basic drawing of two guys. And the the, uh, the font at the bottom was just kind of bold. It said Air and then Moon Safari underneath uh -huh. it. And it caught my attention, and so I gave it a shot, and I immediately fell in love with the band. It's a French duo. They used a lot of roads and a lot of electronic elements, so there's some Moog in there. It sounded very kind of retro analog at the time it was mid to late 90s when it came out and there's vocoder which i love great sounding drums and there's even french horn and mellow kind of things going on outside of lounge effect mixed with the electronica and uh it just really hit the spot at the right time so had it not been for that album art looking very intriguing i probably wouldn't have picked it up and i'm very thankful i did that's cool yeah and working in a record store i bet you uh we're tempted quite a bit just to <laughs> take your paycheck and, yeah. and buy a few of those. Yeah, I mean, it happened a lot. I mean, I've got five tubs out in the garage right now that I just don't have room for in the house these days. When you when you have kids, folks, um, their toys take over, so sometimes your CD collection has to go out yeah. back. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there was certainly some opportunities to try a bunch of albums, and, um, you know, many were hit and miss. Uh, many were misses, I should say, but uh, overall, you know, it, it was a fun yeah. ride. I love your uh, choice of Dave McKean. I don't know <clears throat> if you're aware that he did the covers for the Sandman comic book series by Neil Gaiman. Yes. Um, those God, those covers are amazing. They're gorgeous. Um, great series all the way around, but it's cool that he dabbled in so many different things. What a great artist. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, one of our mutual friends, Sir Mundy, yes, uh, sir. is the one that uh, turned me on to that fact a long time ago, and it's always stuck with me. And, and so anytime I do see it, I always try to see what, what it's all about and, and pursue it further. And it's interesting, too, that like 
artists got yeah, known. Excellent. When I say artists, I'm I'm talking about like fine artists that do the cover design. Um, got noticed through the music, the musical artists, because you know Metallica with like Pusshead and uh, you know he was he did a lot of stuff in Thrasher and skate the skate world too. But right, um, it's just neat to see you know artists be um, collaborating between fine art and musical arts, and then they they both kind of get a like a and I don't know what I'm trying to say, but they both are kind of like paired up together like you're doing right now, which is cool because mm-hmm. uh, they both help each other out. Yeah, exactly. And it's funny because even though they're two different creative forms, uh, when they're partnered together, they just kind of create a big vision. And um, I absolutely love it. Like, you know, not to go down a rabbit hole, but Dark Side of the Moon, for instance, I mean, as minimal as that album cover is, uh-huh. and I was a young, impressionable person that had heard about Pink Floyd but never really gave it a chance. I remember popping that in and, and uh, just feeling very, um, I guess, inspired by, by how just rich and embellished the, the album was, and yet simplistic in ways, too. And it, the album cover, again, really fit that mold perfectly. Right on. I think that, um, and this I think should be a topic for another show, but I think kids today are losing part of what we're talking about here, the beautiful art captured on those, especially on the old albums, full-size albums. You got a nice piece of art um, that tied into the story. I think a lot of kids probably don't even know what the cover art is, especially if they're buying it digitally on iTunes or whatever. So there's just a big component missing that we grew up with that I don't think this generation even knows they're missing. I agree. Yeah, and you can't forget liner notes, too, for that matter. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know, oh, um, yeah. you know a lot of us were the CD experience, <clears throat> but you take out vinyl records like Pink, you know, Pink Floyd's The Wall, for instance, and how well-packaged that was. And, um, you know, there's always real creative ways to, uh, again, further embellish the Sonic story with this unfolding visual, be it a, a multi-page fold-out layout card or um, pieces that kind of broke open in, in chunks and fragments and things and just unveiled a big image. Totally cool, and I miss that nowadays. Yeah, me too. Oh, yeah. All right, Tony. This is uh, up to you. Okay. Now, you thought you talked uh, for a long time, Paul. <laughs> Tony might be here for an hour. I Because I'm going to be reviewing Nine Inch Nails concert, I purposely kept this short. <laughs> but I will. <laughs> Take a drink, everybody. That's the first Nine Inch Nails of the night. Yeah, exactly. So, of course, you have Nine Inch Nails drink. Okay, so, um, but I'll start there just because I tr- I actually tried to leave Nine Inch Nails off the list, and I felt bad. <laughs> so, um <laughs> I just couldn't do it. Um just because there's been the the run through with Nine Inch Nails. Here's what I'll say and Paul I have different different categories too. It was too hard to do with just one category, but um cool. The one category was Trent was pretty innovative um in the packaging world in the sense of like I I like I liked the fact that like Pretty Hate Machine was very minimalist in the sense that it wasn't just a picture of his face on the cover and then Broken had the little mini disc, you know, that came with it, um, limited edition. And then that went into like downward spiral, which he hired and commissioned an artist. So it kind of gets into that same world. Um, who he, he then went on and hired again for hesitation mark. So, um, I could say a lot about the nine inch nails world, but it's, I'm going to, I'm going to dive off of that since I'll be into them later. And the two that I kind of came down to were actually my favorite band, even over nine inch nails is pink Floyd. So it's funny that you mentioned them, Paul. And my favorite album is uh, Animals. Oh, nice. And so, yeah, I love that album. But I remember reading about, you know, that they were trying to get that pig in between the two, like, 
tower, you know, they're the two pillars on the, on the power plant and, um, they had bad weather or something like that. I don't remember the whole story. I just know that they had a marksman hired to shoot that thing down. If it went, if it went, things went awry. Wow. And, uh, they had to end up shooting the next day or, you know, filming the next day. And, um, they, they didn't hire the marksman back and the thing actually did break loose. Uh Oh, and that huge pig flew out over the airport and actually planes reported it and it like shut down. I think I heard <laughs> it about shut that. down the airport for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And then they ended up not even using the pig from that, uh, or in that location, they ended up, you know, superimposing it back on an old photograph that they had done. So it's kind of interesting, but you know, <laughs> for me, that's art. It got some free press. It, uh, disrupted things, you know, it has a story behind it. Mm-hmm. And so that wall was kind of like, resonate with me i love the album i love the band and then it's just got this you know you go to the concerts or the cover band concerts and there's always a floating pig you know there and so it kind of that lives on through an accident and i feel like that's how art can happen sometimes um and then the other side of that is the real critical thinking about how the packaging should be in the experience you talked about like sometimes you would get a dud we'd all fall for the cover and then not know the band and you know <laughs> kids today don't know that yeah. hey we might have dropped 15 dollars that week uh on one single cd that had 12 tracks and then they were all stinkers <laughs> and so uh we had right you know we just paid 15 dollars for a square of art um <laughs> so when bands really took their time and maybe at their own cutting into their own profits i don't know how it all worked but when bands would really consider the art and the experience that it was you know we used to have to wait for music if anybody can believe that we used to have to wait for music and then you'd go get it and you would physically be holding it but you still didn't know what it was going to look like if it was going to have the lyrics or any of that kind of stuff in it so um tool lateralis i know paul you and i were at ball state at the same time when that came out um and it had Mm -hmm. that um those layers that you could peel back like an old anatomy book and it had the the guy on there with uh, the chakras and it went through from the skin to the you know the skeleton and all of that stuff but it all flows with all of those deep meanings that are intertwined with the songs and uh, it was like just simply beautiful packaging and it all went hand in hand and it had to cost an arm and a leg um and there was really no reason to do it other than it it supported the it it filled the whole thing out all the way through from music to what you're holding in your hand. And so, um, again, like I said, I think when, when the art is that important or can disrupt or have a story or anything like that, I think that's when it really resonates with me the most. So those are my two lateralis by tool and, uh, animals by pink Floyd, Steve, that wasn't too bad, right? No, that, that was, was way shorter than I nice. thought it would be. Okay. I know you're saving well, up. Well, you just uh, wait till my concert review. <laughs> Somebody's going to be <laughs> hammered <laughs> when they get done hearing Nine Inch Nails 50 times. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, what did you have, Steve? Okay. Well, we're we're going to hear a recurring theme here just in a moment. But um, uh, the first one, I kind of cheated because on my first choice, um, I didn't go with just an album cover, but with packaging. And I know Tony wouldn't hold this against me because he mm-hmm. loves good packaging, but... Um, in 1996, uh, Smashing Pumpkins put out The Airplane Flies High, and it was shipped multiple CDs in a little box. It looked like an old 45 records box, and it had you know the, the clasp on it, and you opened it up, and they were inside there, and it had a nice book that you could open up and look at the lyrics and go through all the songs. 
it was a mixed bag as far as what the music was in this, but the packaging was primo. Um, it was one of the coolest things I had, and it had the spiral uh, black and white on the front. Um, it was just really slick packaging, and uh, so I chose that one for my first one. That's great. Second one, um, now I'm regretting going with Pink Floyd. Um, I was going to go with <laughs> The Doors, uh, Morrison Hotel, because I love that captured moment in time. Uh-huh. Uh, where they're sitting in there that you can never have that again. But I went with uh, Dark Side of the Moon, um, and Paul mentioned earlier the simplicity of the album cover. Uh, very simple. It's mostly black, but then it's got you know the prism on mm-hmm. there. Um, really cool. And the reason I went with that, that won me over, was last year going to see Roger Waters, and they recreated that in the light show during the concert. Oh, oh cool. Uh, which kind of brings that home to you, you know. And, and it was supposed to represent... The stage lighting, the lyrics, um, and um, the request for the simple and bold design, which uh, Wright gave them. But and they also had the flying pig at the concert, so that was very cool too. Nice. But um, anybody, even if you're not a Pink Floyd fan, you know mm-hmm. that cover. So I think that's kind of a distinctive thing that makes something special. If people who don't even know who Pink Floyd is or care will see that and know exactly what that Absolutely. is. Absolutely. So that was my second one. And then the third one, are you guys ready to drink? Can you guess what it is? <laughs> I'm hearing, I think I know, but go ahead. Tony? Could it be Rush? <laughs> it just <laughs> might be. Um, <laughs> do you know what, though? Those Rush <laughs> covers from the 70s were incredible. They were all done by the same guy. Um, they all looked, Every cover in the 70s was done by the same guy? Every single cover, whether Rush or anybody else. <laughs> the same guy. He was very so busy. busy. Yeah, okay, <laughs> <laughs> I should have specified Rush <laughs> records. But anyway, um, my choice isn't necessarily my favorite covered, but uh, the meaning makes it my, my favorite one. It's uh, Hemispheres, which came out in 1978. What I love is, you know, I'm a concept album guy. And so this, uh-huh. this uh, album, the first side of the album, which sounds funny to people, it's the first side because it's actually a record, um, is an entire song, and it's part two of a song that began on the previous album, A Farewell to Kings. And um, basically, the cover, if you look at it, is um, supposed to be Apollo, represented in the form of this gentleman-looking guy. He represents logic. And then in the foreground is Dionysus, and he's naked, and he's sort of reaching out to the gentleman, and he's got this sort of ballet pose, and they're standing on a brain. It's the top of a brain. Mm. Um, I know. And, and you know, and the, <laughs> the work at the time isn't even that great. You know, they're kind of just standing there. It's not like they're grounded or anything. Um, but what's cool about it is it's the concept of the album, Hemispheres. It's the hemispheres of the brain. And um, the whole story is you've got these two opposing sides of... Uh, you know, with Apollo versus Dionysus, you've got um, logic mm-hmm. versus emotion. And then the the protagonist of the story, Cygnus, which the song is called Cygnus X1, and this one's book two, he intervenes claiming there's a balance of heart and mind that's needed for humans to live. And so I thought that really captured the essence of the record. And for you techno heads out there, mm-hmm. when uh, Getty Lee sings the word hemispheres the left stereo channel switches to the right for oh. dramatic effect. So it's kind of a cool thing. 
Um, and the song is written pretty much like a poem, uh, which is cool. Kind of Samuel Taylor Coleridge-esque, if you will. Um, so not necessarily my favorite album cover of Rush's, but I think it encapsulates what I love so much about their concept album. So those are my three. That's Smashing good. Pumpkins, Pink Floyd, and Rush, Take Another Drink. <laughs> That's interesting. I, I've never really... Um, Very nice choices. Paid attention to that cover, really. So I'm going to have to go back and check that out. Yeah, Rush has always had some cool stuff. I remember uh, being in junior high when Presto came out, and that album cover stuck out to me just because it was very straightforward yet abstract. And then I gave that album a listen, and uh, you know that was when I was still becoming kind of a fledgling musician, and I could you know kind of get a, an impression of them, and, and it sent me on my journey with them a bit too. And admittedly, I, I need to pursue them further. I've certainly listened to a lot of Rush music, but uh, I've not. Uh, kept up on it, you know what I mean? I hate to say that, but I've not revisited it a ton, and I, it's a matter of just finding other things and, and not having mm -hmm. the time for it. And um, I, Steve's inspiring <laughs> me is what I'm trying to say, uh, to go back and, and give that a, a shot. Excellent. I, I think yeah, that's the... I'm taking a look at it right now. That's, that's cool. That's the great part of the show, is that uh, we get to inspire each other and, and find new things to check out. So I love it. Totally. Any last comments on... Um, the last challenge. I got one. It's a quick story. Sure. <laughs> how I how I got a hold of the copy of uh, Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. I went to a local record store in the Kokomo Mall, and uh, I bought Danzig's first album on cassette and left the store. Hadn't opened it yet. My parents were like, what'd you get? Oh, I got, you know, Danzig. I'd, I'd heard it before and wanted to get a copy of my own. You know, of course, they both looked at it, looked at me. Absolutely not. You know, and and they had a they had a no refund policy, so I had to exchange it, and I had to, my dad had to uh, fork over three extra bucks because Dark Side of the Moon cost about three dollars more after tax than Danzig did, so you know double loss for him. But uh, you know it was actually a good win because I got the Danzig album on CD later when when uh, you know they didn't have that much discretion when I was an older. Uh, music fan if you will and uh, so i won out in the long run because i got exposed to dark side of the moon and i got dancing later nice <laughs> that is a good story oh uh, yeah i the, my only last comment would just be that you know we, we do this because we're having fun with it and we want other people to listen in too but i would love to hear what people say for their own challenges you know yeah totally especially on this one being someone who comes from the fine art world like Anybody that's listening on whatever channel you're listening in on, uh, be sure to share in the comments, like, uh, what's your favorite yeah, album cover? Yeah, absolutely. We would love to hear your thoughts on uh, what excites you musically and visually with uh, with the Sonic package. Yep. Cool. All right. Well, um, recently, the three of us have all attended a concert, and so we're going to give some uh, brief, <laughs> brief, Tony, concert <laughs> reviews um, of what we've seen. So um, I think... Paul has uh, seen the Henry Rollins. Um, it was just a speaking engagement, right? That's right. It's it's basically like a slideshow, um, and it was it was really cool. Am I starting off, or who's starting off this one? You know what? Yeah, just go ahead and go, and then uh, I'll do mine second, and I'll let Tony finish up because he's probably got a lot to say. He does. So Paul, yeah, he does, and he also <laughs> needs a little nap before he talks about it, so no problem. So, uh, Henry, uh, as many fans of him already know, he's stopped doing music for some time, and, and now he 
travels and does a spoken word tour, uh, or he basically is a storyteller. And it's fantastic because he travels the world. He particularly travels places where there's unrest or there may be some civil discourse between us as the United States and them. Uh, and, you know, his intent isn't necessarily to cause a rift. It's it's to kind of find out what's really going on and just be a person to take it all in. And uh, even though he doesn't talk about it a lot, he's really a humanitarian and he does some wonderful things across the world, too. So this particular time, uh, instead of him with the mic running around the stage and being his animated self and telling these stories that are self-deprecating and very entertaining, he he brought a big projector slide, uh, you know, a projector, I should say, screen and a slideshow. Uh, He takes photos when he's out and about and he is a fantastic photographer. He captures the moment beautifully. He told the story about the image and his adventure while he was there uh, and even uh, just went around, not necessarily in a geographical order. He's kind of bounced it back and forth, but it made the pace so ingestible and so consistent. After two hours and almost 35 minutes, I thought he just got started and I was waiting for him to to go further. I, I didn't want to leave. Um, I actually looked online. I had an, an ad pop up on Facebook. Hey, don't forget Henry Rollins is in town Sunday. And I was Oh, yeah, I wanted to check that out. I wonder if there's any good seats left. There was a front row seat. So I nabbed it, and Mm -hmm. I went by myself, sat up there, and enjoyed every moment of it. Uh, Even got a chance to say hello at the end of the show. He was coming out as I had bought a book of his and was uh, getting ready to leave. He happened to be there with the bus, and, and I stopped over and said a quick hello, got a photograph, and, you know, just told him, you know, how much I appreciated him. And he doesn't seem to take praise well. He doesn't know how to handle it. He just was like, okay. But, you know, I know... You know, I wanted to get that out to him and let him know that, you know, hey, you, you've you made an impact on, you know, even a guy like myself. So uh, it please, you know, want you to know how much I appreciate it. But, uh, you know, I, I don't want to talk about what he covered in the show, because if you have a chance to experience it while the tour is still going on, I highly encourage it. I know that he's talking about publishing a book with these photos as well as uh, the stories to go along with it. So I'm looking forward to that. But his images were very striking in that. He captured moments with children's faces and how excited they were to see him, how excited they were to see their picture after he took the photo, because those parts of the world don't really have access to that technology on a regular basis. So they're really curious as to what they really look like. They may see their reflections in water and things like that, but they really don't have things like mirrors and cell phones readily apparent for them to use. So, you know, the fact that he, you know, was able to really... Um, interact with them and engage and and be a part of that moment with them and and create some joy while in turn, you know, getting an experience out of it was really cool. And then there were places he went where he now uh, actually is a part of. They drill wells in certain parts of Africa, and and he's a board member for that organization now. So these experiences have also compelled him to want to do better for those areas after being impacted from his visits, essentially. Um, You know, where he's gone... Uh, in the face of danger, as far as like uh, politically and things like that, he comes out with you know a really interesting account of how he got out of there and didn't uh, end up you know in any kind of in prison or uh, you know harmed in any way essentially. But one uh, story that was really interesting, <coughs> pardon me, was he travels 
and, and forgive me for not knowing all the geography because he spoke so fast it's hard to uh, keep track of everywhere he went but there's one place where there's a desert mm-hmm. rock festival and there's these particular men that are on tall camels and they wear a lot of garb to cover themselves from the desert sand and the heat and um, they're constantly rewrapping themselves to make sure that their skin is covered uh, they push through the crowd on those camels just to get front row to hear this music and things like that so he's like I've been at concerts before where a guy nudges me but I've never had a camel nudge me and almost knock me to the ground just so they can get a front row spot and those guys are you know <laughs> above the band listening to the music and, and taking it all in essentially there's probably 9 to 12 of them and he got cool photos of the camels up front he's like none of them spit on me but they, the camels expressions on their faces he's really good about catching moments that told a story deeper than his words essentially so you know long story short fantastic experience it was non-musical but he's a musical icon as we know and uh, his story is very interesting his journey is continuing and he inspires me to this day uh, just from the standpoint that you know he takes action he works hard and you know he's living his best life and um, you know if you get a chance to go catch him anywhere across the country please do I think this is running until December and then you know he'll be out on tour with something else in the future so you know keep an eye online for uh henry lawns on tour folks i i certainly encourage it yeah i i was very jealous that you went to that mm-hmm. um not just to jump in and say hey i'm a big fan but i've been a big fan of henry rollins for a long time even from the black flag days and mm-hmm. uh but what really like you know punk rock and all that stuff was great and the rollins band was you know that was a big huge you know voice back in the day mm-hmm but it was his spoken word and like the books that he put out and um, the way that he thinks that was really what drew me to him. Mm-hmm. And so like all these years later to see how he's morphed his, his show into something like that and see him try, you see, you can turn on about any channel sometimes and you catch Henry Rollins traveling somewhere or another. <laughs> right. Um, so yeah, man, I was, when I saw that you were front row and then you and I kind of had a conversation about what he talked about uh, just by proxy made me want to go. Yeah, totally. It was it was very cool. So I'm sorry you had to miss it, man. <laughs> yeah, you That's get a little okay. taste I went of that. Yeah. He was recently <laughs> on Rogan, and uh, yeah. they had like a three hour conversation, and you get a little taste of some of those stories. And he's a great storyteller. I'm a little jealous as well. <laughs> yeah, totally. I listened to that Rogan episode as well. And I even went back and listened to one from a year before and uh, Ari Schaefer's podcast with him. All of them, you know, he it's never a dull moment when he talks because he has an interesting perspective. And, uh, you know, the, the person who's talking to him may not be completely aware of him. So it's always fun to see how they react to, to some of his situations and stories. <laughs> yeah. And uh, let me say this one more thing about Henry Rollins is that I may not always agree with you know, maybe on the politics side of things or, you know, something he's saying, but Henry Rollins is the kind of guy that you just respect anyway, because you can agree to disagree, you know? Um, and he always talks from a place that seems like it's his truth. And he, he, I don't think he rarely, I don't think he ever really talks about something that he doesn't feel like he's gone through in some way or has some understanding of it. He doesn't like cast judgment from, afar on something he's never had experience with right right and you know that's one of the interesting things about the stories he tells because you know we may have a perception based off of what information we soak in via the internet but you know he certainly will be the first to tell you no this is what i experienced this is what these people are telling me this is what they experience and so Mm -hmm. uh you know it always comes from a place of of a genuine uh knowledge essentially for sure 
Cool, man. That was great. Cool. Thanks. Excellent. All right. So last week I went to see Stone Sour and Ozzy and um, my friend bought the tickets. So I went with him. I had no idea where we were sitting, but apparently we were sitting 10 feet from the stage and I didn't bring earplugs, which was a terrible decision. I had no hearing in my Mm -hmm. right ear for two days. Um, Zach Wilde hates me. That's clear. (laughs) Um, But what'd you do? It was quite a night for sure. (laughs) Um, So, (laughs) well, I had seen Stone Sour like three months ago as the headliner. Okay. And then seeing them as the opening act is such a different thing. Uh, the, The number of songs was cut way down. The volume was cut way back. Everything is just so stripped down. It was definitely a different experience. Uh, while I did like it, I didn't love it. Um, I mean, I had, Corey Taylor always brings the same energy, but just something is missing when you're an opening act. And he made it very clear that he was there because he owes everything to uh, the Osborne family, um, giving Slipknot their start a long time ago. And he feels like he has a real debt to them. And he again, mentioned that on stage. And I think that's why he tours with him, even though he just got off tour. He's going to be touring with Slipknot next year. Um, so I really respect that part mm-hmm. of it. A um, couple highlights. Obviously, Stripped Down, he played Bother, uh, which is just an amazing song, and it was just him and a guitar. That was the highlight of that one. Um, but I was a little underwhelmed after having seen that uh, three months ago. Mm-hmm. Then we get to uh, Ozzy, and I honestly, and I told you guys last time I had no idea. <laughs> what Ozzy was going to right. look like, how he was going to mm-hmm. move, how he was going to sing. Right. Um, he actually ran on stage, <laughs> like ran across the stage. I was shocked. Um, <laughs> the, the stage itself was, it was set up really cool. Um, this is the last time he's touring. He, he let us all know that. And uh, you could tell, I mean, pulled out all the stops. He had his hose out there, hosing the audience off. Um <laughs> It was really a good show. I was I was pleasantly surprised. I'm not the biggest Aussie fan in the world. I I, I love all the big hits. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm well aware. I mean, I've listened to him a number of times. It's not like I've never listened to him, but um, he's not on my playlist all the time. And I was definitely pleasantly surprised. Um, and it, for me, it really was the Zach Wild show. Um, he dominated. He was just amazing. Uh, he stood ten feet from us and just wailed. For a long time, wandered through the crowd, um, had a huge solo. Um, I was kind of excited, went back. And for me, my Zach Wilde go-to is Black Label Society, not necessarily Ozzy. I know it's blasphemy. Everybody's going to be mad at me now. But <laughs> uh, but that's that's where I really like Zach Wilde. And, uh, but the show was good. I was really entertained. Um, Ozzy, for being getting ready to turn 70 years old, he still has it. He sang really well. Um, I, I just enjoyed the show. I, I don't have a whole lot other than that to say about it, but and I couldn't hear for two days, so <laughs> there's that. <laughs> Let's go. Where was the show again? Ruoff, the old Deer Creek. Oh yeah, it'll always so, be Deer Creek. It was to a beautiful me. night. I mean, it, yeah, it, it was Deer Creek, but yeah, it was. Uh, it couldn't have been a better night. It was beautiful. Um, yeah, just I mean, overall, it was just a fun and show. You have. Uh... I guess I get this is a little bit of a plug, but I remember you did a review of Stone Sour, the the show you were talking about that you had seen back in April. Is that still up on? Yes. Break the yeah, I did that on 
break the fourth. Okay. Uh-huh. Nope. Yeah, and I, I gave it a glowing review at the time. That one was actually at the Egyptian Room um, at the old National Center. It was indoors. It was just one big room, and uh, it was a smashing show. It was really good. That's cool. We'll put a link to that article, cool. too. Not to backtrack. What's that, Paul? Yeah, not to backtrack. That's uh, that's where I saw Henry Rollins actually was in the Egyptian room, and it's weird when they have seating in that space because I'm usually seeing it very rowdy with the metal show and a mosh pit and all that kind of stuff. So it's a nice chill experience to say the least. And no, that's awesome that you got to see Ozzy this last uh, time around. I've I've never been able to catch him live, and you know the opportunities have presented themselves several times, but either I just didn't have the the energy or the, the ability to do the other uh, obligations so that's awesome you get to catch that and you know for those who may have seen him several times they've been able to experience more than just Zach Wild you know be it like Jakey Lee back in the day or uh mm-hmm. you know those who uh you know not to age them but those who may have caught Randy Rhodes mm-hmm. you know that's it's a stellar experience from uh the band light up standpoint not just Ozzy as well everybody really puts in 120 percent with with their performances with yeah. that band yeah you probably can't catch Ozzy because apparently he's running now as a seven-year-old. So. True. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, one, one, one final cool note. This was really neat. There was a uh, uh, hearing impaired group right behind us, and so we had somebody right next to a signing. And so... Oh, that's awesome. You can imagine Zach Wilde's on a... He's doing guitar solos for like three, four minutes at a time <laughs> quite frequently, and the person that's signing is acting like they're playing guitar and dancing. That's it was awesome. one of the coolest things. I should have recorded it <laughs> so I could show everybody. Um, but, yeah, that was really a, a neat experience. I have actually seen some content about that. That's on the rise. Apparently, uh, there's a movement uh, for those who are hearing impaired to want to experience the the sonic feel of a concert and get that live energy, even though they may not be able to, to hear it and, and experience it as as we were able mm-hmm. to um but uh I'll, I'll certainly look for that link i, I saw a video about it and and uh, apparently um you know it's it's a stimulating experience uh in that regard too because again with subwoofers pushing air and things like that and as we know too sometimes a band will hit a low note and your chest just rattles yeah. you know um so no that's cool i'll I'll have to dig yeah. that up and and uh so that way you can read for yourself i, I don't want to act like i'm an expert on it but i did see it in passing right. and yeah you hope that it's just your chest rattling when they hit the low note uh, so, yeah right <laughs> but um speaking of sonic feeling the sonic boom of the music um <laughs> that's a perfect segue for me if you're if you're wrapping yours up stevie it's time i'm done okay i can't wait to hear tony <laughs> settle in um no i i i'll try to keep it short and i'll give out my cell phone number for anybody that wants to talk about it more but um the, <laughs> the literally i'll I'll jump around here for just a second because you you brought that up but literally our shirts were moving <laughs> from the music wow and uh yeah um dirk that one of the guys that went with us his, he said his he could feel his hat vibrating during the show we were um there was like a kind of a cleared out orchestra pit that was that probably you know had a small handful of people and then we were the first dead center front row center probably 25 feet from the stage uh for nine inch nails and so we went and watched them at the ascend amphitheater in nashville and uh it only holds about seven thousand people so it was pretty intimate it was like a mini version of an outdoor arena uh or amphitheater and uh it was a great night cool. for a concert but Anyway, um, 
Yeah, so the just some context, we traveled there, which is about five and a half, six hours one way, uh, watched the show and drove back, so that's kind of why I'm tired, and then I got up for church this morning, so, um, but the the guys that I went with, um, you know, one is has seen Nine Inch Nails before, uh, I've been with him a couple of times, another one had gone uh, on his own, and then there was one guy that had never seen Nine Inch Nails, but was into seeing them, so it was kind of a pretty good collection of people and then there was me the like uber fanboy from the late 80s (laughs) so um but here's what i'll say about that and i'll try i will try to keep it short i have a ton to say but um one interesting note i think you guys would enjoy is that i kind of liked the new stuff where he sings (laughs) now that i've seen it live um interesting yeah well i think that there was something that was disconnecting for me that he was trying something different in the studio. And then when I saw it, I'm like, Oh, well then he has to go out and do this. And there's a little bit more vulnerability behind that. And maybe, you know, something that he wanted to do as an artist more. So I kept putting in that context of like, just put it on the, how to destroy angel CD or put something else out under a different name or whatever. But the way that I saw it and the way that it connected in with the live show actually worked. Now I won't say that I still love it, but definitely like did not ruin the show for me. Made me want to go back and listen. So, um, and they did play a lot. If you look at, um, setlist.fm, they, they put everybody's set lists up there, but they also have a nice graph that shows you what albums they play the songs from. And it was a pretty, the biggest two portions were from bad witch and downward spiral. It was mostly the new stuff and downward spiral with a lot of other stuff mixed in. We did get the perfect drug, which has only been performed this year ever for the first time. And I think we were the third crowd to see it. Uh, it was fantastic. We've got a lot of videos. Sweet. Yeah, so I'll have to put those up in the show notes. But um, anyway, uh, just to stay on point with this, Nine Inch Nails, I've seen them in a lot of different venues and a lot of different iterations that Trent has had. And this is probably the tightest group of people that they've had. This show is just so well put together. I mean, I'm, I'm talking pacing too, you know, coming out just just mm-hmm. blasting. Uh, and knowing when to cut that off, knowing when to mix something else in. Um, Trent's a funny guy, too. He was introducing the band, and he said um, something like, uh, on the next song I play saxophone, but I didn't know how to like stand here with a saxophone and look cool. So <laughs> he said, I'm used to getting pushed into a locker. <laughs> so, uh, you know, every once in a while you'll get you know that kind of Trent up there. But um, sonically, they were so on it. And oh, it was... I don't even <laughs> I don't even really know what to say because they played a great mixture of things. They did not play closer, so there were probably people that wanted their money back. Um <laughs> did you storm out, Tony? <laughs> yeah. If I would have seen them, I would have thrown them out. Um but they played <laughs> like uh, I'm afraid of Americans was a very interesting thing because mm. him taking over the lead for where Bowie would have been, you know, doing a lot of that vocal a lot of the vocals on that uh worked really really well. Um, they did physical, the Adam Ant cover off the speaking of the broken, Sweet. you know, mini disc <laughs> days. Nice. Um, but but the mixture was good. And here's here's something visually that I found too was before it even set before they even set up the one of the guys I had been with, we went and saw them on the Lights in the Sky tour, which was highly um, technology driven. You know, with the screens and everything that they had. I think they even had a big screen that was actually a touch sequencer for the drums. Um, all kinds of stuff. So, uh, 
this time that guy was like, you know, it doesn't look like they're going to have this a lot of lights or anything like that. And you could see the light rigs were being set up. The way they did it still worked. And it looked like, you know, when there's a storm happening in the distance and you kind of see the lightning, you may not even hear the crackle of it, but you just kind of see that in the sky and there's energy back there and you know something's coming, you know? That's what they look like, I swear. I mean, it was really, there was just this stuff behind all the smoke and the fog and then they would kind of emerge and you would hear this thunderous thing. But um, the only thing that I can say without going into every song, which I could could give a review on every song, is that (laughs) I think that for anybody that is, I would say mild to Uber fan, would come away just being blown away. If I think if you didn't know Nine Inch Nails, you might just feel like you're being assaulted, you know, because um, <laughs> some of that is hard to get into because there's a lot of noise up there. But uh, but if you have any sort of inclination of what they are about and how they how they do things, you just can't imagine how pure everything sounds. Paul, you'll appreciate from this standpoint, for as much as layers as they have going on, there was not only the panning, but the distinct, like frequencies i guess i don't know if that's the right term but it wasn't just a big muddy mess of stuff coming from the stage to you you were very much aware of when something was supposed to be high and staticky or low and rumbly and where the vocals should sit and everything and um it, i mean sound wise it was just mixed incredibly well on the fly lot not on the fly but live and it was mm-hmm. um here's what i'll say it was in my top three shows ever of any band ever so, wow. And I've seen lots of my favorite bands and I've seen lots of different venues and I've seen Nine Inch Nails. The only one that tops it for me in the Nine Inch Nails world is the one we talked about on a previous podcast, you know, at Ball State because it was just so weird that my favorite band was playing a, a small college and it just it was my first real big experience, so you're not going to top that. Mm-hmm. But if you were going from a technical standpoint of how they sounded, they probably sound better today than they did back then. Cool. So I have a question yeah. for you too, Tony. Go ahead. Um, because I haven't really followed up on the lineup. Is Robin Fink on this tour? Or does he have somebody else playing guitar? Yeah, no, and that was interesting too to see Robin Fink um, still there, still rocking the weirdest haircut in the world. And <laughs> um, and and here's another thing. Um, you know, on the song uh, "Shitmere" off the new album, they Robin takes on a lot of those vocals. I mean, Trent's in the back oh, cool. playing something, and Robin's up front singing. And it was interesting. And then they had um, Alessandro Cortini was there, um, Ilian Rubin, and um, uh, who's the other one there? It's, I'm drawing a blank right now. Okay, well, we'll come uh, back to it. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm sorry, I don't know. If no, that's okay. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing him right there. Uh, so you got Robin, Ilian. Uh, yeah, so anyway. Um, but you have these guys like Ilian Rubin, who's a drummer, who, if you, if you don't know how hard it is to play the drums for the perfect drug, go watch go watch somebody cover that or go watch them play it. But um, he played cello. He played bass. Um, there was just a lot of mixing, you know, Trent's on keyboard, saxophone, guitars. Everybody's, you know, and sometimes they're playing something you don't even know what in the heck it is. There's just something electronic up there that they're fiddling with and it's making sounds. Oh, do you know who the other guy was, Paul? Who's that? Atticus Ross. Atticus, yeah. The other course. guy in Nine Inch Nails. <laughs> so right. that just right, hit me right. when I said making sounds. So yes, to answer your question, Robin Fink was there, um, <laughs> which who's been a staple um, through and through. Atticus apparently has been a staple in the background for a long time. It's nice to see him up there live. Ilian uh, Rubin, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name right, but he's been there since uh, since I can remember in the last you know 10 years. 
and then Alessandro Cortini the same way. So I feel like they're kind of settling into for the first time, not so much mm-hmm. of a modular band, but you know, some kind of hired guns. Yeah, and that that makes sense as to why they were probably more solid than than ever because they've got a lot of experience with that stuff and and they know how to be flexible with with the show's dynamic and and whatnot. Yeah. So, um, like I said, all in all, easily in my top three shows of all time and worth staying up for, worth driving all that way. And they're still on tour, so like you did for you know Henry Rollins. If anybody has a chance to catch Nine Inch Nails and you and you like them for more than anything, then closer. Go see them. Yes. And I'm sorry I couldn't attend that. For those uh, who uh, <laughs> listened last week, Tony offered for me to come down with him, but I had previous obligations. We went to see the the Broadway version of Lion King that's touring. So I'll uh, stick around for that review. Just kidding. <laughs> but let me just say in a nutshell, that's also fantastic. There's music that's not in the movie. The visuals are astonishing. And, you know, if you have kids and they love music as well, it's worth seeing also so i'll leave it at that yeah and and the last thing i'll say with that is um because i know we're going long is what we're saying right now getting out and seeing things live and it's been something i really haven't done a lot lately and i'm starting to do it again but just talking with all the guys you know in the car for five and a half hours and everybody kind of taking turns playing songs and sharing new music and playing old music and hoping to figure out what they're going to open up with and all that kind of stuff um, mm-hmm. the experience is so worth it. So, uh, you know, whatever it is you're into, like I'm, the, <laughs> I'm trying to get out of my shell and stop saying like, Oh, well, it's this much money or it's going to take this much time. Like it's totally worth it. You got to do it more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially nowadays with some of these artists we like, we don't know how much longer they're going to continue doing it. Mm-hmm. So sometimes if there's an opportunity, seize it. Uh, for me, when I see a show anymore, I, I leave kind of feeling fired up because I kind of pick it apart from a technical standpoint, being, you know, a person who plays guitar and, and loves the, the uh, gear and, and sometimes the performance aspect of it. So I'm always trying to dissect what they're up to and, and seeing, you know, what I can learn from it as well. Right on. Excellent. All right, fellas. <clears throat> that brings us to what we promised last week, which was reviewing of the latest Cypress Hill record. Yes. It's been a while. Uh, this one is Elephants on Acid. If you listen to it, it sounds like elephants on acid. <laughs> no, not really. I don't even know what that means, actually. But um, did you guys get a chance to listen to it? Uh, yes. Yeah, I did. I listened to it the whole way through. Me too. Yep. Me too. Number of times. So. Um, yeah. Who wants to kick it off? Why don't we go back to Stevie and around to you, Paul, and back to me since I just talked for twenty minutes. It sounds good. You need a nap. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay, so I, I've listened to it probably four times. Um, I still don't know if I have a great grasp of the whole album because um, I wasn't looking at lyrics. You know, I was doing other things at the same time. Um, but um, I, I did get a pretty good feel for it. The first time I listened to it, I'm going to be honest with you, I hated it. Mm-hmm. I just, I didn't feel it at all. And I was like, gosh, I, you know, something, I don't know what it was, but something was missing. And then I, so I listened again a couple more times. Um, songs like uh, Band of Gypsies, Put Them in the Ground. Um, I'm not even sure how you say this exactly, but Oh Na Na. And and Crazy really really stood out to me. They were were songs that I could really grab onto. Um, But one thing that we talked about maybe a couple of weeks ago was uh, artists evolving Mm -hmm. and people getting mad when people change and they don't do the same old thing. 
Here, I think I have the opposite. It just feels like to me that they haven't grown or outgrown what they did in 91. Mm-hmm. It kind of feels like it's rather repetitive. Um, not that it, it wasn't good. I mean, I've already, you know, I jumped in the car to run to the grocery store earlier and I put on Band of Gypsies and put them in the ground because I, I, those are two mm-hmm. that really grabbed me. Uh, but as a whole, I just can't see myself putting this on play a lot. Um, and Mugs is dead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was kind of an odd song. Yeah, yeah. it's kind Muggs of an abstract dead, journey. Apparently. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but anyway, what do you, what'd you guys think? What was your first initial impression? Um, you know, I, I when I listened to it, um, I didn't go into it with a ton of expectation, honestly, because same thing, you know, it's either an artist is going to change and evolve or they're going to kind of do something similar. And I felt like while they did do something similar, uh, it, it definitely kind of hit a sweet spot for me just because I was a big fan of, of their stuff in the nineties. And, um, when, uh, I was listening to it, actually, I was, I was watching my, my daughter at one of her extracurricular activities. So I had earbuds in and just kind of being sneaky and I'm doing some work here, fellas, leave me alone. (laughs) But, uh, it was funny because the kind of the same format that they used to do, you know, of course you got the DJ mugs on the turntables, creating the loops and the hooks and the guys are on top of it. Um, I did some research as to what was going on with the lineup. And I don't know if you guys caught this, but there's five people in the group now. Um, Eric Bobo and Mixmaster Mike, who've done work with the Beastie Boys, are also part of this now. I didn't catch that. So there's some embellishment in that regard. Uh, I don't know where they fit in because I didn't hear anything that stood out that said, obviously, Mixmaster Mike's here and Eric Bobo's playing percussion in, in this part. But um, I think it's interesting that you know they're, they're playing some sort of role and expanding in, in that regard. So maybe with that, that's where they're getting some extra room for samples and, and things to kind of embellish and, and expand there. Um, yeah, same thing. I mean, the, those songs that you mentioned, you know, like Band of, Band of Gypsies, Put Him in the Ground really stood out to me. And I think Muggs is Dead was kind of a little interlude that played on the DJ's role with samples and just trying to make a, a little story out of out of the, the hooks and the beats and things like that. But uh, um, overall, I mean, it was a satisfying listen. It was nice to hear some, some crazy uh, samples that had some sitar in it. And everything definitely had a vintage flair in that regard. So I'm going to say that they're probably playing on the nostalgia angle more than they are trying to make any deep progress. One change I did notice from the past is Sendog is more in the forefront with his vocals instead of being kind of the, the wingman with the, the crazy vocal style, you know what I'm talking about where he's uh-huh. kind of almost has a cartoon voice going. So he's more aggressive and uh, you know, of course be real. He's going to talk about what he talks about. So I think in the grand scheme of things, it's it's more of a, a package down memory lane. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I would agree with both of you actually on this one. Um, and I think that it's funny you mentioned somebody about the Beastie Boys because not that I compare them to the Beastie Boys at all, but it just feels like this is there's a crowd for Cypress Hill that's probably gonna be super excited about this because they sound like they sounded in some regards, mm-hmm. you know. Now I do say I will say that I felt I wasn't at first hating it. I felt it started off strong, and I, Band of Gypsies is the song that I I probably played over and over more than the other ones. Um, but I I thought that it was progressively like leading with its strongest and and then kind of going down from there. And so, and I was waiting for some of those changes to like you said evolve. I want to say what's Cypress Hill really doing today? Because to be honest, I don't know. 
They may have had may have had an album out last year, and I don't know that. I just haven't listened to them for a long time. But um, so what I'll say uh, a few songs is I I thought the the band of gypsies was a really good lead song, um, after the, the, whatever their intro was, um, and put them in the ground. That sounded to me like a '90s soundtrack. So that's why I'm totally agreeing with you guys that they haven't moved much. Is that that sounded like it could have been on a soundtrack and we were just talking about like judgment night and stuff like that in the car on the way to see nine inch nails. So nice. um, this would have fit right in. You could take a 90 soundtrack and probably just throw this on there and it would blend right in. Um, I thought uh reefer man, ironically sounded very much like a Dr. Dre track. I thought the production mm-hmm. was good. Um, but then from there, so here's what I was hoping. I, you know, cheating. I was kind of looking at the t- song titles and what was coming up. And I was like, okay, so there's a chance for redemption here because they're ending this thing with Stairway to Heaven. And I was like, Cypress Hill covering Stairway to Heaven. What is this going to be like? You know, (laughs) so, you know, that would have been like a redeeming track, I think. And I had expectations for it. And then it just wasn't that at all. It wasn't a cover. So, um, I don't know. I was immediately disappointed and it just fell right back into like, well, that's how it ended. So I would give it a... I don't know. Even three seems strong a little bit for me, but I'm going to go with three just because I haven't had it long, but three out of five for me. And I, I would probably pluck a few songs out, put them on a workout playlist and, and then never listen to them. Cause I don't work out. <laughs> I, I can feel that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to give it a, I'm going to give it a three and a half uh, just because I was feeling the low end. There was certainly some good, full range in the sound the bass was was there and yeah um you know again it, it kind of hit a sweet spot it, it took me down memory lane when in high school when when um uh sorry the black sunday came out and you know house of pain was apparent at that time mm-hmm. so there's some there's some good jams that are in similar style that that were really a lot of fun during that time i was a wallflower at the school dance after the football game when, mm-hmm. when those songs came up then you know me and my buddies would would certainly let loose a little bit but then get right back to the wall while the you know hootie or whatever pop band was playing at the moment right so that's where i was with it <laughs> yeah. um and then to answer you know kind of the conversation is don't know when the last albums came out so it looks like of course in the 90s they had black sunday and then they had cypress hill three temples of boom in 95 there was an album in, in 98 mm-hmm. 2000 2001 2004 and then they didn't come out with anything until 2010 with rise up and then now we have elephant elephants on acid eight years later okay Maybe I'll go back and listen just to see if there's any progression in between. But mm-hmm. and maybe they've just come full circle, and I don't I don't know it. But um, and and to what you said on the low end and stuff like that, I I didn't mention one of the tracks, which was falling down. I really did kind of like the like the dirty gritty low sound in that song. So yeah, yeah. Um, that was another shining spot, but it was towards the the top of the list. Cool, Stevie. What was your star rating on it? Two and a half. Okay, I'm with you. I just had higher expectations than Paul. Um, for me, if I'm if I love four songs and there's what twenty on the album, yeah, I don't know how many it is, but there's a lot of songs. To me, that's not not a success rate. I don't see this hitting the playlist quite a bit. Um, I don't know, just didn't hit it for me. And I don't want right. to have to make up reasons to like songs. I just want them to make me feel it. You know what I mean? And, <laughs> right. Uh, for some reason, this one just did not do it. Okay. Well, well, I can respect that for sure. And, and it's totally fine. We're going to have albums that are going to blow us away. We're going to have albums we're just like, 
well, let's move on. So all right. good. <laughs> Excellent. Well, all right, guys, that brings us to, we're going to tease Tony's challenge a little bit and we're going to hit, what are we listening to now? And uh-huh. we'll start that off with Paul. Because we listened to Cypress Hill and I mentioned send dogs vocal style uh, a couple episodes ago, I mentioned Power Flow, which was a super group that has uh, several artists in it from uh, bands of the past. I'm looking them up right now as I speak, so bear with me. Essentially, they have uh, Billy Graziati from Biohazard, Christian Old Wolbers. He's the bass player from used to be in Fear Factory, and uh, he's been in a couple artists or a couple bands through the years as well. He played guitar in Fear Factory as well. Um, there's a gentleman uh, who was it Roy Lozano. He was in Downset. Uh, I'm not sure who the drum drummer is from. It looks like there's two members that had uh, helped out. One was maybe on studio. The other one was live as a touring member. But essentially, it's a super group. Send Dog is on vocals. Lots of cool riffs, real heavy. Send Dog's voice lends to it very nicely. And they even have a remix uh, EP that just dropped on uh, Apple Music. So after I listened to the Cypress Hill record, I, I popped that on and gave it a listen. And hearing some of those tunes reinterpreted was really cool. And I think there might be one or two bonus tracks that weren't on the first album. So check it out. Power Flow without the W. Sweet. All right. Tony. I'll jump in here. Um on the way to the Nine Inch Nails show, um, we actually were listening to Paul's album, Data of the East Alkaline. The shucks. Yeah, so I got the pictures to prove it. <laughs> um, and then, uh, but... You know what uh, would make that uh, Cypress Hill record better? Just, just playing, playing Paul. Paul. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I Yes, Paul. To quit being modest. <laughs> um, so, but because... Uh, I was kind of on this Nine Inch Nails thing for the for the for the last what twenty years, um, <laughs> no. But because we were getting ready to listen to them um, live, I was just kind of going through some of my playlists that I had. And uh, I have a friend in Atlanta. His name's Jason, and the guy somehow he's like he's been a curator of music for me since since we've known each other. And he always will say, "Hey, check this out," and it's always something that I love, and I've never heard of him. So um, a while back, he gave me a band called Battle Tapes. And they uh, they have an album called Polygon, and it has a very like pretty hate machine vibe to it. And it's uh, but it came out in 2015, so it was very interesting. You know, pretty hate machine coming out in the late 80s, and then having bands of today kind of have some similar feels. But I don't like when it's a straight up like you know rip off. Like, uh, is it Greta Van Fleet that sounds like Led Zeppelin? Super talented musicians, but like too close to it. I just I'll just probably listen to Zeppelin instead. So uh, anyway, I'm listening to the whole album Polygon by Battle Tapes, but I especially like Belgrade and Solid Gold. So we'll put some links to those in the show notes. Yeah, I remember you turning me onto them a few years ago as well. Very, very nice. Yeah, so we both have Jason to thank for that. So, uh, Stevie, well, thanks, Jason. <laughs> yeah. Stevie, what do you got? Uh, well, <clears throat> after I listened to Cyprus and I was a little disappointed, I was on the uh, the old Facebook for old folks. And uh, people were raving about Lil Wayne. So uh, hmm. <laughs> I never listened to Lil Wayne. Just going to throw that out there. I know it's hard to believe. but um, <laughs> So I've listened to it like four or five times now. I listened to it three times straight through while power washing my deck today. Um, <laughs> I can't tell you the names of any songs because I was working while I was listening. But uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I, is it the Carter 5V? I don't know exactly what that is. But uh-huh. that's the name of the album. Um, 
it's really good. I was impressed. I, I did. I had no expectations going in. Only what people on Facebook were saying. And um, as far as good work music, it was really good. I enjoyed it quite a bit. And um, I just one quick side note. Um, mm-hmm. Last night was the first episode of Saturday Night Live for the year, and uh, Kanye was on. And <laughs> yes. I've just come to the realization. That Kanye, you know, I mean, there's no denying his place in the music world, his creativity, his, you know, producer qualities or whatever. He He's a fantastic mm-hmm. producer. He needs to stick to that. He may be the worst performer I've ever seen. And that's <laughs> not taking anything away from all the stuff, you know, putting the music together, producing and all of that, which is fantastic. He is an right. absolutely awful performer. Um <laughs> And boy, those two last night were just awful. He dressed up as a Perrier bottle in one of them. um, (laughs) And the other one, some girl kind of strutted around as he said these innocuous things about love and money that were supposed to be like hard hitting, uh, you know, thoughts for life. And it just came across as corny. And uh, anyway, yeah, that's for me. Also, uh, in my news feed was something about... um he went on some rant about you know pro trump which we're not going to talk about politics here but uh just interesting to see what all he had to say so uh, i think i got cut for time from the actual show but there's some video out there of what what he was saying so i would say i don't know where he ranks as a performer but as a public political speaker he's not exactly uh on the hot, the top part of the list either I, i'm just going to say that i let political talk kind of glaze by and I try not to let it phase me by any means right when he said that um guitars were useless or I'm, I'm paraphrasing of course but he said something to the effect that you know the guitar is terrible you don't need it because you have fruity loops <laughs> uh, you know, that's where i took uh you know a little bit of a, a stand blasphemy <laughs> <laughs> yes <laughs> oh. oh yeah so Anyway, anyway I, I, and I of course, this. it's the internet where I heard that quote, so I don't know if it's legit or not, but, you know, I'm just like, what? It sounds like something he would say, you know, right? because I know him. It's probably true. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, this brings us to the part of the show where we are challenged. And yes, all three of us are always challenged, but <laughs> now we're going to be especially challenged with Tony's challenge. So, Tony, what do you have for us okay. this week? Um, well, I've thought long and hard about this one. And, uh, <laughs> I, I do want to go with, um, I want to really kind of get down to the nitty gritty of, you know, kind of the feels that music gives you. So here's the challenge. I want an instrumental song that moves you and why, and I, and well, an instrumental song that moves you and why, as well as a song that has lyrics, particularly lyrics that you can kind of repeat back to us to tell us why those mean something to you. So, uh, one of each of those songs, and if possible, it's not a prerequisite, but you do get bonus points if it um, <laughs> can kind of root you in a moment in time as well. Because my point with this is, I really do feel like music is this like teleportation device that we all keep hearing about that we're gonna have, and but I can listen to something and I can be, I can smell the air from twenty years ago. I can feel the sun. I can know exactly where I was, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, yep. there's something really, really weird about that. If you really start thinking about it, um, sometimes I don't remember, you know, what I'm supposed to do in two hours. So it's weird that, that something like that can be so heavily imprinted on us. So that is the challenge, at least 
an instrumental and a song with lyrics, and in particular the lyrics that move you in that song. Very cool. Challenge accepted. Sweet. Challenge accepted. And send that in an email so I can wrap my head around that. Right. <laughs> okay, I will. <laughs> For sure. All right. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap up this show. Uh, last thing I think for us is next week, the review. And it looks like we've got uh, some pretty good choices here with uh, 21 Pilots, Echo and the Bunnymen, Ooh, which oh, I didn't cool. even know they were still around. Mm-hmm. And uh, Coheed and Cambria come out next week. What do you guys think? Um, I don't know. We can shoot some emails back and forth and see what rises <clears throat> to the top. But I'd also love to, again, you know, put it out there that if anyone's listening throw out there some things you might want us to review, even if it's not brand new. Yeah, um, absolutely. I think we'd love to start picking from uh, a different pool than the sources we go to. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you everybody for listening tonight and we will see you next week. Hey peeps. Thanks for listening. If you liked what you heard, hit the like button below. Also, please be sure to comment to expand on the conversation. We look forward to your thoughts on the topics we cover in the world of music. And be sure to hit that subscribe button. You'll be updated with more episodes in the future. Thanks again, and catch you next week.